The 50 Biggest Crypto Stories of 2022. This is the CMC 50 with Connor and Molly Jane. It's Christmas! Oh my God! <laughs> ah. Wow. Oh, well, Merry Christmas to you if you celebrate. I was about to be like, I don't accept. <laughs> <laughs> this is the latest installment of the CMC 50. We are running through the 50 biggest crypto stories of the year. And in this episode, we're going to make our way from 29 to 23. We've got lots and lots to discuss. Tornado Cash highlights from Bitcoin Amsterdam and Bitcoin Miami, Cryptomania at the Super Bowl, and what happens when celeb endorsements go wrong. Make sure you listen to the past episodes if you haven't caught up on them yet. And you can vote on what you think the running order for the top 50 should be on our website, coinmarketcap.com slash Alexandria. 29. Well, Molly Jane, in August, there was a big announcement. The US had sanctioned Tornado Cash. Amid allegations, it was being used to launder more than $7 billion worth of cryptocurrencies over three years. Molly Jane, can you tell us how Tornado Cash works and what it is? Oh, like from a technical level? Yeah, or whichever <laughs> level you please. Let's see if I can do this. So Tornado Cash is a cryptocurrency mixer. Mm. And so when you put cryptocurrency into it, you could imagine... It's sort of shaking it around, maybe swirling it around like a tornado would do to it yes. and spitting it out the other side in a different form, but the same amount. So the same coin, the same type of cryptocurrency, but a different type. And the reason I am trying to be so specific about this is that if you can trace the ownership of cryptocurrency on the blockchain. It's not like a dollar where I mm. spend my dollar and no one knows that it was my dollar if it was used for money laundering, or if it was used just for a purchase that I didn't want someone to know about, you know, like a present for my spouse. Um, what Tornado Cash does is it allows uh, you to obfuscate the origins of cryptocurrency. Yeah, so you can blur the lines when it comes to the sender and the amount as well. So it wouldn't and the amount as well. That's important. You're right. Yeah. That's important. So it wouldn't necessarily free Tornado Cash if I was to send 100 ETH to Molly Jane couch change mm -hmm. um couch change no one would know through the blockchain records that i'd sent it and she'd received it or how much um, it was or how much it was so um all of this um was done essentially to target the lazarus group and these are hackers sponsored by the north korean state the us was claiming tornado cash was being used by north korea extensively after it stole digital assets. And according to some estimates, $96 million stolen in the Harmony Bridge hack and at least $7.8 million taken from the Nomad Heist, that's another hack that happened this year, had worked its way through Tornado Cash. Now, these sanctions didn't go down well with the crypto community, did they? They did not. There actually were at least two lawsuits against the government for this because the idea is that you can't sanction code. Yes, um, you're right. And one of the lawsuits was filed by Coin Center and they were highlighting the issues with banning Tornado Cash. And an example they used was someone who might have been trying to make a donation to Ukraine anonymously. And that's the thing, isn't it? Tornado Cash 
wasn't just being used for malicious activity, was it? No, it was being used for a lot of things. I think it was Vitalik Buterin that said that he used coin mixers to donate to Ukraine without um, disclosing the identity of who he was donating to for fear of their safety. Yeah. All of this notwithstanding, though, are the US right to say tornado cash is a threat to national security? I don't think so. I don't think it makes sense to target code in this way. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely see their reason why. Like, for example, the Silk Road mm. was selling, you know, drugs and weapons and humans, but it could have just as easily been selling books. I feel like that argument could be made. But the point is they shut it down because it was majority selling bad things. Yeah. Um, and the U.S. government's argument, as far as I understand, is the tornado cash is... Even though, yes, you could use it to donate to Ukraine, you know, like I said, to buy someone a secret birthday present, the real reason it's there is for money laundering and terrorism financing. And I just don't buy that. The US action caused big problems because a substantial amount of assets ended up being frozen and high profile celebrities and crypto entrepreneurs ended up being dragged into the row because an anonymous tornado cash user sent small amounts of ether to crypto addresses belonging to logan paul beeple jimmy fallon and this meant that all of the celebrities technically <laughs> had unwittingly broken the law it was a pretty that was clever stun wasn't that was it funny. yeah i i laughed i chuckled when that happened well, it was announced in September celebrities who fell victim to dusting attacks wouldn't face action and mechanisms and special licenses were introduced to ensure Americans with stuck funds could complete withdrawals. But yeah, pretty heavy handed action against Tornado Cash. It was. And their developer was arrested. Yeah. Yeah. A was. developer. A developer. And he's still in custody, isn't he? He is still in custody, I believe, in the Netherlands. Yes, that's right. In the right. Netherlands, yes. Yeah. Alex Pertsev? Good memory. Good recall. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 10 out of yep. 10. No notes. You know what? You should do like a podcast of some kind, summarizing crypto stories of the past year and remembering facts like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just a suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> well, moving on. 28. Earlier this year, we saw Joe Biden release an executive order on crypto, with the president calling for regulations once again, yes, as a matter of national security. Molly Jane, there hasn't been much progress with regulation in the US, has there? No. I would say there has been no progress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Very a progress. Now, there's two competing bills in Congress, if I'm not mistaken. One that gives the SEC more control over how crypto is regulated, and the other handing most of this power to the CFTC. Who should be in charge? No one. They're all not doing that good of a job. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's definitely the kind of thing where you have to work hand in hand because cryptocurrencies... Some might be securities, some yeah. might be commodities, some might be neither, some might be illegal, just entirely, you know, um, frauds. So, yeah, I think that without a proper collaboration, it's nothing's going to happen. Yeah, and it's difficult because the crypto space 
moves so quickly and by default, you know, regulators and politicians are always going to be behind the curve, but there's a danger really that they operate at a glacial pace. I mean, over in the UK, um, Bitcoin ATMs were suddenly shut down because our regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, said the machines were only allowed if operators registered with them and no one had. And at one point this year, um, there were fears Bitcoin itself could be banned in Europe. I mean, Molly Jane, we talked about this in an earlier episode, didn't we? Is it ever possible to ban Bitcoin? It's so hard. Mm. I mean, you can you can make it hard to use if you, you know, revoke all licenses of any crypto exchanges that are centralized and based in your country. But with decentralized exchanges and also with something as simple as a VPN, mm. you know, it's like, you know, on the computer, no one knows you're a dog. On the computer, no one knows where you are <laughs> truly <laughs> anymore. So let's let's think about this with what we know from a regulator's perspective if they really wanted to clamp down on crypto and do some damage what sort of options would they have i mean it's probably easier to target centralized crypto exchanges isn't it and like cut off it that way it is because then that gets the people that are not crypto native necessarily or crypto savvy yeah. And so the people that are sort of uh, meme coin, altcoin trading on DEX aggregators won't mm. be affected. But that's the minority of crypto holders in general. Well, it wasn't all bad news. Panama approved a law to legalize crypto transactions, did stop short of making Bitcoin legal tender, though. And Germany unveiled an interesting law too. It said crypto investors won't have to pay taxes when they sell Bitcoin and Ether as long as they've held on to it for more than a year. It's almost like Germany's parliament's going like, yeah, hoddle, isn't it? <laughs> wow. I didn't know yeah, you spoke it's German. Yeah, 366 <laughs> days. You can sell without tax now. It's like this... <laughs> 364 days, nine. You have to wait. I just, it's like your grasp of accents is so incredibly impressive. You Thank have your own you. variety show where you just mimic people. We're about to talk about Russia. Do I dare do an accent for that? Oh, yeah, please. Please do that. Russia has been flip-flopping on whether nope. to ban crypto, hasn't it? It is more like this when you speak the Russian with the accent. That's a little Italian, too. <laughs> huh. Right, we're getting off track. So what I was saying is Russia has been flip-flopping on whether to ban crypto, hasn't it? It has. And ironically, or that's not the right word, but we'll go with it. Ironically, um, I did write my master's dissertation on Russia's crypto regulation. That was about um, six, six or seven years ago. And in the dissertation, it was sort of a living dissertation because I constantly had to change my analysis based on when the bill was going to be passed. Guess what? It never was. (laughs) All this time later, they're still working on it. So... Yeah, because it's part um, of, um, like, you know, whether it's Russia's central bank, Russia's government, parts of them think we should really um, ban this. And other parts actually are thinking, well, actually, 
mm, crypto could probably be potentially a good thing because, of course, they're being sanctioned to oblivion at the moment. And crypto could kind of offer a side door, kind of like it has with North Korea. It could, but it's like using the argument you hate. Russia has other things to worry about right now. Yeah. Um, they will continue to develop their CBDC, I assume. Mm. Um, some of the largest banks in the country, like Sparebank, are also working on blockchain trials. People are people are investigating, and they have been investigating for a long time. Um, but on the other hand, it is very difficult to use crypto in Russia because its its legal status is very unclear. And also, ever since the war started, almost no crypto exchanges are really allowed to operate to Russian customers, no matter where they live in the world. So Russia has a lot has a lot to figure out in terms of its regulation. Twenty seven. So, kind of keeping with the topic of regulation now, and we saw. A lot of political drama in the UK this year. Back in April, the finance minister was Rishi Sunak, and he unveiled plans to make stablecoins a valid payment method. He also said the Royal Mint, they make British coins, would release an NFT. Molly Jane, he got a lot of criticism for this. I mean, there were claims this policy was tone deaf because of the cost of living crisis and high inflation. What do you think? I don't think it was tone deaf. It's it's the thing you always say, like you're allowed to chew gum and walk at the same time. Like you yeah. can deal with inflation while also experimenting with what blockchain could look like um, at the Royal Mint, an yeah. NFT from the Royal Mint. I mean, why not? As far as I'm aware, that NFT actually hasn't been released yet. It hasn't, but their website has a very intriguing landing page under home slash innovation slash NFT. The Royal Mint has been asked to produce an NFT for Britain, and they are delighted to once again lead the way for UK currency. (laughs) NFT for Great Britain. It's going to have bulldogs and terrible cuisine and bad teeth on it. (laughs) I would love nothing more. Okay, well, um, I'll, I'll I'll make sure uh, I get it for you for your birthday then. Got to wait a whole year. <laughs> well, there have long been calls for the UK to be more friendly to crypto so it can be competitive after Brexit. That was the vote to leave the European Union. But there's been a lot of political turmoil this year. Boris Johnson ended up resigning as Prime Minister after a series of scandals. Liz Truss became the new Prime Minister. For one second. She also became, (laughs) yes, the shortest serving PM in history because she resigned after just 44 days. And there was a huge scandal over her plans to slash taxes during a time of economic turmoil. That caused the pound to plummet. It was pretty surreal this year to see the British pound compared to a shit coin. There were people saying it was more volatile than Bitcoin. I I remember that. That was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. Poor, poor UK. Poor UK. Well, we're now on our third Prime Minister of the Year, and it's Rishi Sunak, the crypto-friendly politician we were talking about before. Ooh. His government... (laughs) has said it's determined to become a global hub for crypto, even despite the collapse of FTX. Now, there's some Molly Jane who will criticise me for saying he's crypto-friendly because he likes central bank digital currencies. Oh, yes, that is a big uh, red flag for a lot of crypto people. So if you like central bank digital currencies, does that mean you can't like Bitcoin as well? According to crypto Twitter, yeah. They're mutually exclusive. (laughs) I do not agree. 
Um, should, would you like me to run down the argument for why that is? Yes, please. So the issue is that cryptocurrencies, and I'll, I'll use Bitcoin specifically, was created with the idea that you would have no government control, a separate financial system, you buy what you want, when you want, markets are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, et cetera, et cetera. With mm-hmm. a CBDC, the fear, founded or unfounded, is that because it would be issued by the government if they wanted to, say, prohibit alcohol sales late at night. Or, you know, if there was a meat shortage, you wouldn't be allowed to buy a million steaks every week because, you know, Bitcoiners love eating uh, steak. Steaks. They love steaks. They do. Bitcoin carnivores. Uh, So anyway, that would be just like two examples of why a CBDC would actually be against the ethos of cryptocurrency, because you would be giving your uh, buying power, uh, you'd be taking the control away from yourself and giving it back to the government. Well, we're going to be talking about this a little a little bit later. But the point that I was also going to make as well, I get the point that Bitcoin was meant to be an alternative financial system divorced from traditional banking. But Bitcoin's ties with traditional banking have really grown. Oh, yes. And also, you could argue that, you know, there's there are great pockets of centralization in Bitcoin, especially when you look at mining and who who owns the most Bitcoin, like, you know, the top like 10 wallets or so um own an astronomical amount of Bitcoin. Is your point that the top 10 wallets own a lot of Bitcoin and that means as institutions that own it, you know, like MicroStrategy, like formerly Tesla, and that's the issue? Well, my argument is two things. Firstly, um, a lot of Bitcoin supply is concentrated into the hands of a very small number of institutions or people. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem. And then also on the mining side, you've got a small number of companies that dominate the mining industry. So, you know, decentralization, isn't it? The idea is like you spread things across so there isn't a single point of failure. But what we've seen with Bitcoin is um, it's very top-heavy, kind of like the traditional fiat system. Can I just say that it's still too early? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, but it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better, is it? Well, I was actually speaking with someone about this this week, you know, just over coffee about, you know, how you can believe in crypto if you're also believing in equality for all. And we came to the conclusion that crypto is, it's better. It's not the best. It's not perfect. It does still have that inequality because it made some people incredibly, incredibly, incredibly rich. But at the very least, it gives the people that don't have access to the banking services a chance as opposed to fiat. 26. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about conferences now. I went to Bitcoin Amsterdam in October, and it was significant because it was the first Bitcoin conference to take place in Europe for quite a while. And it was interesting to hear the perspective of some of the panelists. Jeff Booth was there describing inflation as theft in our money. Molly Jane, you know, a common theme at these conferences is that fiat currencies are on the brink of collapse and Bitcoin will take over. Do you think this would actually ever happen? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, it's like it's like a nice what-if scenario to play out, uh, a nice thought experiment, but I don't actually think that would... Uh... But they're so confident that this is going to happen. That's the thing. 
And that's why I like being in crypto, hearing really overly confident people say really crazy things <laughs> with a straight face. Yeah. I mean, there was a really heated panel on whether major news outlets are doing a good job covering Bitcoin. And FT columnist Jemima Kelly and former FT Alphaville editor Isabella Kaminska were joined by Bitcoin Magazine's Pete Rizzo and Cointelegraph's Joe Hall. There were fireworks. Let's take a listen. I mean, most, people, okay. most retail investors got in in 21. We're not how talking many, about how retail. Many of them, We're not talking many, about retail. We're talking, talking about, about like developing countries. Do you know how many people? Like, it's really not. It's, it's like, have you seen that's the latest get, inflation print? Have you seen the latest Bitcoin price? You can buy a fraction of Bitcoin. We, um, do, we do know that. It's not that. about if you can buy a fraction of Bitcoin. It's about if you invested a year ago, you have lost two-thirds of your money. And that's not funny when you don't have any money. So, if like, if you're talking about consumer harms, if you've sold out... Yes, but some people actually need enough money to pay for their mortgage. Like, some people aren't Bitcoin whales. Some people don't have money. Some people in Ivory Coast don't have enough money to sit on their sats for, like, years on end. If you tell them to buy Bitcoin and it plunges by two-thirds... You don't think that's consumer harm? He, you think it's wasn't. like, oh, just hodl. Like you, people that, that, can't afford to Do you think the media are covering crypto well? Bitcoin, maybe, specifically? I think they are covering Bitcoin better than when I first started working in crypto. Yeah. You know, I've never found this article, but I swear I remember reading it, where it was at the end of a piece back in 2017, early 2018, about Bitcoin doing something. And at the end, it said... We reached out to Bitcoin for comment, but have not heard back as of press time. <laughs> That's excellent. I that read that. Really I read that somewhere. So that was bad. This is better. This is definitely better. Yeah. And I think as well, and I said this in an interview with Isabella Kaminska, I made the point that, you know, a few years ago, Bitcoin was kind of being treated as some sort of punchline, especially by financial media like Bloomberg and the FT. And I think that these days, the, the, the tone of the coverage has changed. I think that Bitcoin now is taken a little bit more seriously than it was. I agree. I mean, you know, if you listen to this podcast, my favorite newsletter writer from Bloomberg writes about Bitcoin or crypto now almost every week. Yes. Almost every day, even. What needs to happen for the media to do a better job? I mean, I think one good thing is that we're seeing a lot more crypto native voices in the media. I mean, you have given about 17,000 interviews to the BBC this year, which is great. And it just helps give mainstream coverage the actual perspective from the industry. I think that's really valuable. Um, and also, you know, we have seen some publications, like the New York Times now has its own crypto reporter. He's had a mixed year. He's had some <laughs> articles that have caused a bit of controversy. But we are starting to see um, major outlets get people dedicated to the crypto beat. I know the BBC has its own cyber reporter now, a guy called Joe Tidy, and he, he covers crypto quite extensively. Yeah, you know, every day I see on Twitter another mainstream media outlet is launching a crypto-centric newsletter, all about the crypto yeah. newsletters. It's it's just more like education takes time, and I have seen some definitely interesting debates between mainstream media and trade trade media. I mean, you saw the debates earlier this year when Celsius went down about whether mm. Celsius was actually CFI or whether it was really DeFi. People are trying to learn. Some people are stubborn, but there's no more uh, reaching out to Bitcoin for comment, at least. 
Yeah, and I think that sometimes uh, Bitcoiners, you know, rail against the media for the way they cover things. I mean, <laughs> generally speaking, news websites mainly cover negative stories. They're not going to, you know, good, good, something good happening doesn't really have as much news value as something bad happening. Um, and I think that there's often an expectation that um, every single development in the world of Bitcoin would get covered by the mainstream media. I think that's a bit ambitious. I mean, you know, it's not as if like they cover gold, um, gold <laughs> prices and gold hitting a new all-time high and all that stuff every single day. And then also I think that some people... Uh, accuse the media of oversimplifying the way that they cover Bitcoin. But they're writing for an everyday audience, so it needs to be simple. It needs to be something that they can understand. It needs to be very simple. So I also spoke to Nigel Farage at Bitcoin Amsterdam. You he's did. a former right-wing politician who campaigned for Brexit, and he's now a supporter of Bitcoin. Here's a clip of that interview. A couple of reasons I'm here. I mean, the first is, I think, given inflation is back in to money and it's mm -hmm. a disease that is often harder to cure than people think, mm -hmm. uh, given there is a beginning of a broader public understanding mm -hmm. that fiat money <laughs> is perhaps what they thought it was when they were younger. So I think in terms of potential usage, I think Bitcoin's got a great future. You know, I've been to Miami. I've met the mayor over there, Suarez. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm seeing what's going on in the States mm -hmm. and believe it'll cross the pond. And the second reason I'm here is because like any new idea in life, any new concept in life, whether it's a political idea, I'd know about that, whether it's a scientific idea, a commercial economic idea, the establishment always rubbish it completely. Mm -hmm. uh, this isn't new. It's been going on since the dawn of time. And when it comes to Bitcoin, the only coverage you will ever see of Bitcoin on the BBC is after the government of the Bank of England has said that it's valueless. It was particularly interesting when he told me that some Bitcoiners don't do the space any favours at all. What do you think about that? I think he might not necessarily do the space <laughs> that many favours. Touche. Depends what side of the political spectrum you're on at the end of the day. We've talked about this a lot. Bitcoin can't choose his proponents. Just have to accept them. Very true. 25. Well, of course, America does things far bigger than Europe does. And in April, Bitcoin Miami really did cause a splash. Molly Jane, we both went and the conference center was huge, wasn't it? I got in my 10,000 steps every day before 9 a.m. <sighs> for sure. It was ridiculous i mean there was a massive volcano in the middle yep. um, of the exhibition hall what were your highlights from the conference you riding the bull <laughs> you riding the bitcoin bull oh i completely forgot about that Should i did not that? i did not forget yeah please Okay, so I'm here at the Ride the Bull event. The record is 2 minutes and 30 seconds. There's a guy on now. It looks pretty brutal. And he's off after 5 minutes, 5 seconds 30. Right, so I'm putting on my hat. Hi, you okay? Brilliant. I'm ready. Okay, they bet that I'm going to last for one second. I'm going to try and last for more than one second. I'm not sure how it's going to go. Is the best? might have some buns that pop out. Okay, that's fine. That's All fine. Right. Let's go. They're worried that my buttons are going to fall off my vest. So, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Okay, so this is meant to be like a bull market. Woo! <laughs> oh, 
I didn't last long. The vest is fine. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, yes, that was a, a pretty good highlight. Uh, I mean, the mood seemed pretty upbeat considering Bitcoin had fallen to about $43,000. I mean, that seems like a distant memory now, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Bitcoin was at $43,000 when we were in Miami? That's right, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was some disappointment as Naib Bekele couldn't attend because of the crisis back in El Salvador, but he did send a letter offering his support. And at the start of the event, there was wild speculation that another country was going to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. We didn't end up seeing that, did we? No, we didn't. Um, we didn't see that. We didn't see there was speculation that Strike was going to announce a partnership with Apple. And they ended up announcing a partnership with the provider of of credit card and debit card payments that I have yes. no... That was like the biggest, strangest announcement that was nothing. Just didn't... Yeah. Jack Mallers mm, on stage. Interesting to hear you describe it as nothing. Now, he was announcing plans to make Bitcoin a cheap payments network using Lightning um, that would be available at hundreds of thousands of American stores. Let's take a listen. McDonald's, Walmart, Macy's, Best Buy. I mean, no, no, this is not in another country. This is not a test pilot somewhere. No, this is in the United States of America. You're going to be able to walk in to a grocery store, to Whole Foods, to Chipotle. You want to use a Lightning Note over Tor? You do that. You want to use the Cash App? You do that. Would you ever use Bitcoin to buy something? I have many times, unfortunately. Because this always seems to me like the biggest contradiction. Like, is Bitcoin an investment or a payment method? You know? I mean, whenever I am buying something online and I see the option for Bitcoin, I usually pick it. Like I bought a bathing suit with Bitcoin the other day just because it was the option. It was like credit card, PayPal, Amazon Pay or Bitcoin. And I was like, okay, Bitcoin, fine. But do you not worry that, you know, I don't know how much a bathing suit costs, but the Bitcoin <laughs> you used. Yes. <laughs> $30. Oh, Connor, mm -mm, you're way off, but let's continue. Cheaper um, or more expensive? Much more expensive. <laughs> 100, 100 US dollars. I'll just be silent on this, I guess. Oh, you're worried about being judged on how much you spent for a bathing suit? Uh -huh. Was it a designer bathing suit? Of course. How much was it? Go on. It might have been $300. <laughs> $300? Oh, my God. But, okay, so are you worried then that the $300 worth of Bitcoin you used for what must be a very, very good bathing suit? It's the best, yeah. The best. Um, are you worried that in four years that Bitcoin could have been worth $1,200 and instead you spent it on a bathing suit? Well, if I was a normal person, I would. But because I kind of only have Bitcoin, I didn't really have an option. <laughs> so it was sort of like spend the Bitcoin on a bathing suit or just nothing. Like, you know, yeah. don't exist. You know, on the subject of announcements, you know, do you think like Nayib Bekele announcing back in 2021... Um, at this conference, that El Salvador was going to embrace Bitcoin. D did it mean that expectations for Bitcoin 2022 were then just too high? Yes, yes. definitely. Kind of spoiled it. They, it spoiled people. 
for it, announcements. It, spo- it spoiled people, but I don't think the conference was spoiled by a lack of announcements. No, 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 I don't either. I mean, we caught up with Samson Mao after we went on stage to reveal the city of Prospera in Honduras and the Portuguese region of Madeira were adopting Bitcoin too. Let's take a listen to that interview. I believe it's difficult just because most countries, the president or prime minister, they don't have that much influence. Mm-hmm. Um, in, let's take Canada as, as an example. Our government is fractured. We have a coalition. That's the only way Trudeau can maintain power. Mm-hmm. And even if it was not the case, Trudeau doesn't have the guts to do something so bold. So I think getting a big nation state to just go top down and say, we're going to do Bitcoin is going to be an outlier, much mm-hmm. like El Salvador. I don't, I don't think that's common. We're going to see more grassroots level adoption city-state level adoption. We saw that in Lugano and Switzerland. I think that's that's definitely promising. It's the same as Madeira. Mm-hmm. It's not taxed, and they're saying, please use it. Pay us in Bitcoin. So these are de facto legal tender. I was particularly interested by what Mexican billionaire Ricardo Salinas had to say. He argued central bank digital currencies could be worse than the dollar. Now, touching back on the conversation we were having before, Molly Jane, you know, warnings like this about you won't be able to buy cigars, you won't be able to buy booze. Is this not just an attempt to scare people into buying Bitcoin? Like, I'm so afraid that my cigar purchases will be stopped and so I'll have to buy Bitcoin. I, f- I don't know. It's If it's a scare tactic, it doesn't seem like it had the best marketing advisor behind it. <laughs> okay, okay. That's my thought. Well, sometime during Bitcoin 2022 was devoted to the criticisms that the likes of Bill Gates and Charlie Munger have about Bitcoin. And a video said all of these men are citizens of advanced economies with property rights, free speech, functional legal system, and a stable reserve currency. But just 13% of the people in the world actually benefit from something like this. Do you think that criticisms like this are invalid if someone's from an advanced economy? Well, no, because I imagine that people in advanced economies know that there are non-advanced economies out there. Mm. They, they don't just shut their eyes to it and turn turn away. Um, however, I do think there is the thing that's, you know, billionaire syndrome, like the, all the people you just listed. When you start to have that amount of money, I don't trust anything you say or anything you do anymore. You're just, you're not in the real world. You've left the planet. And so... Uh, that's that's my perspective on that. Even if you do great things, I just still, you're gone to me. You're no longer, we're no longer on the same plane. Well, preparations for Bitcoin 2023 have now begun. The website shows an iceberg with the conference's logo on it and the slogan, celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami. What do you think the mood's going to be like in May 2023 when the next conference is? We should go again, right? We We are going again, I hope. Okay, yeah. I think we might even be having some CMC data displayed there, but, you know, we'll see. Um, Well, first of all, I hope it's warm and it's Miami, so it will be warm. Second of all, I hope the parties are better than they were last year. Mm -hmm. And third of all, I hope that you can ride the Bitcoin bull. (laughs) For longer than two and a half seconds. For longer than two and a half seconds. But as I said at the time, you predicted I'd last a second and I lasted two and a half times longer than you thought. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Filth on Christmas Day with Molly Jane.
I want to apologize. No, you don't. <laughs> 24. Now, we saw a lot of celebrities endorse cryptocurrencies during the bull market. Here's a small sample of them. Give me some tips on crypto. No. But you are an expert, right? No. I'm not an expert, and I don't need to be. With FTX, I have everything I need to buy, sell, and trade crypto safely. FTX relied heavily on celebrities promoting its exchange, and some of the ads haven't aged well. Mm-mm. Even South Park mocked Matt Damon for his Crypto.com adverts. Fortune favors the brave, and a brave person knows that pasta cooked in pea water tastes just fine. Okay, hold on. Fortune favors the brave. <laughs> Molly Jane, are celebrities endorsing cryptocurrencies ever a good idea? No. No. They never well, are. No. <laughs> well, following the collapse of FTX, which as you imagine we'll talk about in a later episode, a number of A-listers are being sued for their role in promoting the exchange. Should celebrities bear responsibility if an exchange they work for goes bust? But also no. Hmm. Uh, as long as they have the right kind of contract, you know, the right kind of liability clause. I mean, we're not going to talk about the Ethereum Max issue, but there have been other celebrity endorsements like Floyd May- uh, Mayweather, Merriweather? Yeah, Mayweather. Mayweather, um, DJ Khaled, <laughs> yeah. that have gotten in trouble with the government for endorsements that were not disclosed as such. But I just think the issue with celebrity endorsements is that People are gullible, but as long as there is some consumer protection in place, like if you were watching a celebrity talk about a cryptocurrency um, and there is a disclosure, then Mm. it's like, you know, celebrities do advertisements for perfume. But perfume might not cost you your life savings. That's true. That is very true. (laughs) Bit of a difference. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> gonna, um, if you're going to nitpick here, perfume and Bitcoin, <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say there's like a few uh, dissimilarities. <laughs> well, the reason why we're not going to talk about Ethereum Max now is because we're going to talk about it in a later episode. But there have been plenty of examples of lawsuits against celebrities. And just this month in December, we saw a class action lawsuit had been filed against over a dozen celebrities who promoted Bored Ape Yacht Club NFTs. Gwyneth Paltrow, Justin Bieber, Serena Williams, and Jimmy Fallon are just some of them. And Molly J, one court document contained a quote from an article in The Atlantic that said, celebrities and NFTs are a match made in hell. Somehow, <laughs> star endorsements have found a new low. I just, I have to say that if Bitcoin was at $100,000 right now, it would just, be, people wouldn't care. Celebrities have are often so trusted and i've i've seen countless statistics about this before if a celebrity endorses a product it really does increase someone's likelihood of buying them and so yeah greater cautions needed when it comes to crypto i mean definitely you know you can say do your own research all you want it doesn't mean people actually will but i don't know if if a country if a government if a regulator is allowing cryptocurrency advertisements at all mm. then there's no reason to ban specifically celebrity endorsements, in my opinion. 
Yeah, well, some countries are now trying out new ways of clamping down on this. I mean, I think it's Spain. They've announced that if there's going to be a campaign that aims to reach more than 100,000 people, the wording of the campaign needs to go through the regulator first, which I think is a pretty interesting approach. But with this Board 8 lawsuit, it's claimed that some of those who were promoting these NFTs were engaging in manufactured endorsements, didn't actually like them, and were artificially increasing interest as a result. And Justin Bieber posted a picture of his board ape on Instagram to over 250 million followers. And it's claimed that there were reports that he'd spent $1.3 million on it, but it's alleged he didn't actually use any of his own money and was compensated through a series of transactions, which is pretty murky, isn't it? It's murky, but I take issue in the fact that people are upset that celebrities are endorsing things they don't believe in. Like, duh, that's... (laughs) Of course they are. You think they love all those perfumes they, like, spray in the commercials? Like, no, it's a transaction. They're getting paid for it. You know, the thing, the ad, you know, I love this new diet cream. You know, I lost 10 pounds. It it made me so happy. I love this bored ape. It, It makes everyone laugh. Like, no, of course not. It's a transaction. Get real. But again, but again, you're conflating NFTs with perfume. Now, if a celebrity buys an NFT for a million dollars and it falls 90% in value, they are in a better position to weather that financial hit than someone who buys an NFT, probably not for a million dollars, but for a substantial amount of money and sees the value fall 90%. That would... It, a fall of 90% in the value of an NFT is far more damaging for an everyday consumer than it is for a celebrity. No, and I'm not denying that, but I just, I think that if you see a celebrity endorsing anything, mm. why would you think it's genuine? Well, because of the way that they talk about it. I mean, let's just have a listen to this interview between Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton, because that's also mentioned in the lawsuit. I think it's just such an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah, I, I, got, I, I jumped in. I know, I heard. I'm I, so happy I taught you what they were. You did. You taught me what's <laughs> up, and then I bought an ape. I got an ape, too, because I saw you on the show with people, and you said you got a moon pay, so I went and I copied you and did the same thing. You did? Mm-hmm. This is your, this is your ape. Yeah, we debuted. It's really cool. Like the hat, the shades. Now, why, how did you pick? Because you can pick your, your, your ape. Yes, I was going through a lot of them, and I was like, I want something that like kind of reminds me of me. But I, I, this one, it's it does. I think we we made like another version of it where he takes the hat off and blonde hair comes out. Uh-huh. So, yeah, because you could do it whatever you want. Mm-hmm, animated version. We're part of the same. We're part of the same yeah, community. We're yes. both apes. I mean, they're they're talking so enthusiastic about this collection. They're you know saying we're you know we're part of a community, and and it was pretty pretty cringe to see them share framed photos of their bored apes on TV, and they were saying that they bought their apes because they looked like them, which is clearly a load of horseshit. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just too cynical, but I would never believe, I just do not believe celebrities when they say anything. Not at all. Yeah, I must say Yuga Labs has denied these allegations. It says the claims are opportunistic, parasitic, and without merit, and they look forward to proving I'm kind of on their side in this. 23. Lastly today, there was cryptomania at the Super Bowl. Big brands needed to pay $7 million for 30 seconds in the spotlight. Coinbase 
used its 60 seconds to display a QR code that bounces around the screen and its logo only appeared briefly at the end. But more than 20 million scanned the QR code in 60 seconds and Coinbase buckled under the pressure because the landing page wouldn't load. Yeah, well, you know, it's like uh, the problems of riches, you know? Yeah. Um, Edward Snowden made me laugh. He said at the time, Coinbase spending $16 million on a Super Bowl ad to direct people to their website and $0 to make sure the website doesn't crash in 10 seconds after the ad starts. It's so very internet. <laughs> uh, I, I, have a, I have a quick question for you. Yeah. Who played in the Super Bowl and who won? Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were in it. Um, and oh, the Philadelphia... Something 69ers or something like that. <laughs> I mean, I have and no idea. I have absolutely the, no idea. The Buccaneers won, I think. I haven't a clue. I don't know. I thought it would just, I think it would be interesting just to tell all of our listeners um, how little we know about actual football. We just care about the ads. Well, I normally end up going to um, the Super Bowl. Yeah, just because I don't understand any of the rules, but I get to just drink. You go to a Super Bowl watching um, party. Yes. That makes more sense. And the pub's open till like 4 a.m. and it's great. Actually, I was completely wrong. It was the Cincinnati Bengals and the LA Rams. So that really shows how little I know. You were like incredibly wrong. I was well off. Well off. Now, we saw, as I said, a lot of ads from crypto companies at the Super Bowl. And there was an interesting argument from one politician who's a crypto skeptic that I want to ask you about. And this is Sherrod Brown. And he said, the fact these companies felt the need to advertise at all is a bit of a giveaway about one of their major claims. If this were actually meant to be used as a currency, why would you need to buy ads? I've never seen the Federal Reserve buy a multi-million dollar commercial for US dollars. Has he got a point? I mean, yes and no. Um... If the Federal Reserve had to change currencies for some reason, they probably would have to do an information campaign about it. Yeah, and I think I think an argument that I heard at the time, possibly from you, is like banks advertise. So crypto exchanges advertising in this way is similar to banks advertising. Ooh, that's smart, but I did not say that. <laughs> oh, okay. You, you could have just taken the credit there. Nope, I will not lie. <laughs> <laughs> well... We ranked the crypto ads from worst to best at the time. Rather awkwardly, I scored FTX US 9.5 out of 10. Oh, no. Oops. Uh, I'll hold my hand up to that one. No one could have known at the time. But Larry David's ad really hasn't aged well. Let's take a listen. It's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. That last line, I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. Awkward. <laughs> well, I mean, it's ironic because he was right. But yes. that was the joke was that he was so wrong. I love it. Oh, I, I mean, would love to ask him about it. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I mean, what an extraordinary <laughs> twist of fate. It's just incredible. It's really incredible. And, um, you know, that's not the only one because they also had um, Steph Curry doing adverts like saying he isn't an expert in crypto and you don't need to be an expert. And, oh, gosh, terrible. You should be a little bit of an expert. (laughs) 
Now, I've mentioned this to you before. I found it pretty appalling. So many crypto companies spent countless millions on advertising and sports sponsorships and the naming rights to arenas and then cutting thousands of jobs. Not Binance. Just throwing no, that out there. Yeah. No, and a huge shout out to Binance. Of course, they own CoinMarketCap. They didn't advertise at the Super Bowl. They did this instead. On February 13th, you're going to hear some of the biggest names telling you to get into crypto. But they don't know you or your finances. Only you do. Binance and I are here to tell you, trust yourself and, of course, do your own research. That was a really nice touch, wasn't it? It was telling people, you know, don't listen to celebrity endorsements. They don't know, you know, they don't know what your situation is. Yeah, I mean, you know, I won't talk a lot about my parent company just for neutrality. And I don't want to seem like I'm favoring it over anything else. But at the end of the day, some people just spent their money a little bit more wisely or did not spend it. Exactly. And we'll be talking more about, um, you know, the state of the industry in episodes to come. But that is it for this episode of CMC 50. Next time, we're going to be talking about the DAO hacker being unmasked, MicroStrategy's Bitcoin, Michael Saylor's taxes, and another crazy year for Dogecoin. You can listen to past episodes if you're bored of your family this Christmas day. <laughs> and uh, um, you Check those out. Out online, don't forget that we've got a living, breathing list of the 50 biggest stories on our website, coinmarketcap.com slash Alexandria. You can upvote and downvote stories and the rankings will change in real time. But that is it for today. We're going to be back on the 27th of December and we'll be counting down from 22 to 16. But for now, from me and Molly Jane, bye-bye for now. Bye.